This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor is still basking in the warm glow of a favorable court ruling in his fight with the feds over cruise ships getting back in business. Ron DeSantis says there are limits to what government can do to protect you from the pandemic. We've seen throughout this country government overstep its bounds in response to, to uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And you can't have an agency relying on flimsy legal authority to just keep an entire industry closed with really no, no path forward. The governor made his first public comments about the court ruling during a press conference in Jacksonville about the state's financial commitment to support people with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia and the sixth leading cause of death in the state of Florida. More people lose their lives to Alzheimer's than breast cancer and prostate cancer combined. And for Representative Scott Plakin of Longwood, this is personal. I used to think that Alzheimer's, like many do, is something that only affects the elderly. Well, we found out in 2014 that my wife then of 29 years at 53 was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Plakin says the state is spending more money this year on victims of Alzheimer's and their caregivers. Officials at the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council are hoping the Gov will be just as generous with their clients. They're asking DeSantis to draw down $300 million in Medicaid money to help pay for home care services. There are big changes coming to Florida politics, the company behind this podcast, and so much more. Peter Shorsch is starting another Florida-centric podcast, hiring new reporters to beef up coverage in Miami-Dade, and creating a new repository of all the vilest political ads that are out there. We're going to be launching a national aggregation website, kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes for politics, in which people are going to be able, it'll be a repository for all the great disgusting, angry, negative uh, campaign commercials and direct mail and text messages all in one place, kind of with a humorous bent to them. Peter's our guest today on the Sunrise Interview. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and the story of two Florida men. One has a tattoo of the state on his forehead. The other is accused of pulling a gun during a dispute over cream cheese. And oh yeah, the victim's mom was the chief of police. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, June 22nd. This is National Kissing Day, National Onion Ring Day, and National HVAC Tech Day, honoring the repairmen and women who keep us cool in the summer heat. By the way, HVAC is the industry acronym for heating, ventilation, and air conditioning. On this date in 1633, the Pope forced Galileo to recant his views that the Earth orbits the sun. The church called it blasphemy. The Vatican did not admit it was wrong and Galileo was right until 1992. In 1941, the Nazis launched Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of the Soviet Union. It was the largest military operation in history and its failure led to Germany's defeat in World War II. In 1980, a Panama City disc jockey by the name of Jim King began riding the Starliner roller coaster at the Miracle Strip Amusement Park. 368 hours later, he earned a mention in the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest roller coaster ride. The amusement park closed in 2004. That record was broken in 2007. And on this date back in 1990, a new law took effect in Florida that banned thong bathing suits. It only applies in the state park system, so it's still perfectly legal to show off your butt cheeks at pools and beaches as long as they're not in a state park. 
Governor Ron DeSantis celebrates a big legal win over the feds after a district judge in Tampa ruled in favor of Florida's challenge to the CDC regulations that have kept cruise ships from sailing since last year. We were able to secure a, a really strong victory on, on Friday in our, in our suit against the CDC to open up the cruise industry. And this was something where last March of 2020, there was a two-week shut down supposedly to figure out what was going on, make sure. And then that just basically lasted to uh, all the way into the present. And there was really no movement. And you had people flying on airplanes, going to theme parks, doing all. But somehow this one industry was being shut down by an agency that didn't really have the legal authority to do that. And we didn't see any movement going forward uh, once we got into the end of winter, beginning of spring. We wanted to be able to see sailing happen uh, this summer, and so we brought the lawsuit. And remember, when we did that, people were saying, oh, this is, this is a stunt. This has no chance. Now, we won convincingly. It's an opinion that was incredible opinion by the district judge. It will absolutely be uh, upheld by the 11th Circuit. And so uh, we, I think, is important for, for the folks that are involved in that industry to be able to have a path forward. Uh, but I also think it's beyond just the cruise. I mean, we've seen throughout this country government overstep its bounds in response to, to uh, the coronavirus pandemic. And you can't have an agency relying on flimsy legal authority to just keep an entire industry closed with really no no path forward. The only reason you even started seeing any of these discussions is because we brought the lawsuit. Had we not brought the lawsuit, you would have continued to see status quo and nothing would have ended up happening. And so we, we understood that there was we had a strong case. And I would note CDC also lost on the eviction moratorium in a different jurisdiction. And so the times when they're going from being an advisory body to being some a body that could actually shut things down, uh, the courts, I think, rightfully have said, hold them, hold on. Where's your authority to do that? You don't have it. And so I think it's important, not just for what we want to see these things get back going, but also going forward so that this doesn't happen again and that government uh, remains within its proper sphere. We've addressed that in Florida with the bill I signed to rein in the emergency powers. Uh, but obviously, when you have some of the federal agencies doing this, uh, this is uh, this is something that needed to happen. So so we're happy. We think that basically we uh, we succeeded and we think the, the appeal, if they do choose to appeal it, uh, I think we'll I think we'll succeed there. By the way, the Florida Caribbean Cruise Association is holding a summit today with cruise line executives at Port Miami to talk about the resumption of cruise operations during the pandemic. A statewide advocacy group is asking the governor to draw down more than $300 million of Medicaid money to help people with developmental disabilities. Officials at the Florida Developmental Disabilities Council say the pandemic has led to widespread staff shortages and some group homes have had to close their doors. The council wants the governor to seek federal funding that can be steered to home and community-based services. Now, that money was included in the American Rescue Plan Act, but Florida has not decided whether it will formally request the additional funding. The state has, however, asked for a 30-day extension to consider the potential impacts of seeking the extra money. No answer yet on the money for developmental disabilities, but the governor says Florida is taking the lead on dealing with dementia. Ron DeSantis says the state has made an unprecedented financial commitment to fight Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia and the sixth leading cause of death in the state of Florida. More people lose their lives to Alzheimer's than breast cancer and prostate cancer combined. 
but despite those numbers, uh, we're undeterred. We're committed to offering our support um, and look forward to the medical breakthrough that will eventually bring a cure. I'm proud to highlight a more than $12 million increase in Alzheimer's and dementia funding, bringing the state's total commitment to $51 million for the 21-22 fiscal year. Included in this funding is an additional $6.7 million to support the Alzheimer's Disease Initiative, which will allow approximately 700 people and their families to receive supportive care and respite services. This funding also supports the Alzheimer's Disease Initiative Brain Bank memory disorder clinics around the state that provide comprehensive diagnosis and referral services and community programs that support individuals and their families. The budget continues to include $5 million for the Ed and Ethel Moore Alzheimer's Disease Research Program within the Department of Health, which awards grants for research relating to the prevention, diagnosis, treatment, and cure of Alzheimer's disease. Research right next door at the Mayo Clinic is funded through this program and offers educational and support programs, as well as opportunities to participate in clinical trials and medical discoveries. The Mayo Clinic serves 11 counties in this area and estimates that in these counties, there are almost 57,000 residents with Alzheimer's. As we know with so many uh, diseases, early detection is key. In the past year, they have completed over 200 evaluations and almost 100 free memory screenings. They have also trained almost 1,500 caregivers, first responders, healthcare workers, and others whose family or friends may be suffering from memory loss through an education program to provide those who interact with individuals with Alzheimer's or dementia with the knowledge and skills they need to do so effectively and respectfully. Our strong financial commitment allows Florida to prioritize the advancement of research needed uh, to combat the disease. Uh, not only that, uh, we've actually built it into the foundation of our public health priorities. I'm proud to say that Florida is the only state that has Alzheimer's disease and related dementias listed as its own priority within a state health improvement plan. So in Florida, uh, we continue to put seniors first. Richard Prudham at the Department of Elder Affairs says Florida is taking the lead helping victims of dementia and the caregivers, who are usually family members, who help them from day to day. Priority has been uh, focused on improving the lives of people living with dementia as well as their care partners, all focused on making Florida a more dementia-friendly, more dementia-capable state, and we have been doing just that in the last few years. Uh, we now have Dementia Care and Cure Initiative Task Forces uh, throughout the, the state. We have 17 memory disorder clinics. Uh, as you uh, may well have heard, uh, we now have uh, in the state health improvement plan, dementia has its own standalone priority, uh, signifying how important it is uh, to the state to address those, uh, the needs of those individuals living with dementia. And also, as you were aware, during the pandemic, there was a disproportionate impact on older adults. So as well as focusing on uh, making sure those older adults were kept safe, people living with dementia had an even more disproportionate impact. So we looked to uh, look to technology to help us address the needs of those individuals, uh, looking at buying specially designed tablets for old adults to use, uh, but also looking at robotic pets. And there's a robotic seal just behind over there, uh, a young lady there keeping it company. Those things have actually done awesome amounts of, of, of good will to helping people thrive through that, this difficult time. Social isolation and loneliness has been, uh, it will be the new pandemic and the governor is committed to addressing that through technology and also through the First Lady's uh, Hope for Healing initiative. So we'll be continuing this sustainable effort that we've already implemented. 
you know, and I think the, the most exciting thing I'm uh, to talk about today is uh, recognizing the commitment of the direct care workers through this uh, whole pandemic. Uh, we are providing some free training, uh, uh, dementia-specific training, to enable those individuals uh, to provide a better experience for the residents, but also to equip, equip them uh, to be better professionals in, the, in this very demanding, very difficult career. You may have to live with dementia, but you can still live well with dementia. State Representative Scott Plakin of Longwood knows about that problem all too well. He spent several years caring for a wife with early-onset Alzheimer's. I used to think that Alzheimer's, like many do, is something that only affects the elderly. Well, we found out in 2014 that my wife then of 29 years at 53 was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, at that time, I didn't know anything about seizures or sundown syndrome or any of these things. I thought it was just the memory. You lose your memory and uh, eventually you pass away from it. Uh, Susie passed away in 2018 and she succumbed to the d disease. But what I want to say today is in the first days of the DeSantis administration, uh, Secretary Prudhomme came to my office and he said him and the governor want to make this a top priority of his agency. And since that day when he came to my office, they have done exactly that. And I'm so ha happy to hear the increase in funding in these different areas. Uh, I'll just say this, the Brain Bank, we more than doubled the funding this year. Also, in terms of respite care, as a caregiver for several years myself, I, I, I didn't, you know, caregiving sounds okay, but this, the caregiving is so difficult. I heard the statistic that 68% of couples over 65 years old, the caregiver dies before the person with Alzheimer's. So uh, it's quite common for caregivers to have health problems. So the increase in respite funding, Governor, again, thank you. The governor has also signed a proclamation designating June as Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. Every once in a while, we check in with the home office and talk with Peter Shorts to find out what's going on at the mothership. Peter joins us today on the Sunrise Interview, and he says big things are happening at FP, Florida politics. They are. Um, I guess the good news for you and for others is uh, we are going to take next week off. Woohoo! Uh, yeah. So all the hard work that everybody at FP is put in through the pandemic and through the campaign and through session, et cetera. We are, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break, but then when we come back July 4th, um, we're going to have some new people joining us and new, pro uh, new products, new ideas. And so kind of excited about that. First one uh, that's been in the, you know, we've done a couple of episodes of it is our new podcast state of emergency with Jared Moskowitz, the former director of emergency management uh, he and I kind of go inside the DeSantis administration, but also the Democratic primary. You know, we like to also call it, um, I can't get a word in edgewise uh, between <laughs> the two of us. That's a hell of a good name, to tell you the truth. I, 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 the last time I interviewed Jared, it went on for like 11 minutes before I could get a question out. It, when you get him and me and like a Steve Vancourt going, yeah, good luck <laughs> getting your point across. Um, and then so... From there, we are bringing on uh, two new South Florida reporters, uh, Jesse Schechner and Ann Gegis. Um, really excited about both of them. I'm already seeing from Jesse, like he is uh, at the Miami Times now. He, um, he, he covers the uh, City Hall beat there, almost the same way A.G. Gankarski does Jacksonville, just, you know, hyper coverage of it. And so we're really expanding into South Florida um, going into the next year. We're going to be launching a a once a week newsletter vertical like we do about the uh, congressional delegation and like we do Jacksonville politics. So adding those two 
um, is going to be a big expansion for us. What is it that's causing the change? I mean, what's what's happening? Why is Miami the new focus? Well, I think South Florida is in general. Um, you know, I think Miami is um, it is it is blowing up to the nth degree. Francis Suarez, uh, the congressional races, the local politics. You know, I think part of the fear is when you try to cover South Florida that you're going to, you know, you're going to leave out a demographic that you're not going to be able to cover everything, and we're not going to be able to to cover everything, but. We are, you know, when we've got three reporters now, we think we're going to be able to cover enough of it and extract the stories that have statewide interest. You know, like they just had that massive Bitcoin convention down there. Um, you know, the battles for uh, CD 26 and 27, the state Senate races, those are important to a statewide audience. And so, you know, people always ask us, can we go to another state? Can we, you know, set up in Alabama? Can we set up in Michigan? And I'm like, listen, we're going to set up in another state, and it's called South Florida. Um, we got the rest of the state north of Alligator Alley covered pretty well. I really want to make a run in South Florida. Now, are we going to see a difference on the website as well? Is there, is there like a graphic reboot? Um, you know what? Now I guess you're just going to have to add that to the, uh, Whoops, the I'm to-do sorry. list. I retract the now question. It's, it's, a, it's okay. Um no, but we do change the website probably more often than other people do. Maybe about once every year and a half, we do reboot the website from start to finish. Um, we do, you know, and that's important to us, you know, keeping it visually appealing. Another thing that we're doing as part of this overall expansion program is we are taking over the Tampa Bay 100, um, which is a, there's a, a newsletter company, the 100 companies that has newsletters and uh, Atlanta and several other cities that are very successful, and they are hundred word, hundred second video stories. Um, they also send out a newsletter that goes with that, and so we are we're kind of doubling back down in our, basically our home turf of St. Pete and Tampa by launching the Tampa Bay 100, the St. Pete 100. We have a lot of we get a lot of like oh local restaurant, real estate, finance business news stories because so many of our reporters are based here and we don't have a we've ne- we haven't had a place to put them and so i know this sounds crazy but i envision the tampa bay 100 one day competing even with the tampa bay times in terms of a daily news product you know you would get a newsletter with 15 or 20 items from us um each day of the week um, they're not going to be as in depth, obviously hundred words doesn't provide for that, but it will be something that people will be able to look at very quickly, get an idea of what's going on in their community. And so adding on the Tampa Bay and the St. Pete 100 is the third part. And then the fourth part, I think is, I, I really do am excited about this one. This is not launching July 4th, like the other ones, but we're moving Jacob Ogles over. Uh, who he does the delegation newsletter and he does a lot of the statewide stuff. But with the new reporters in, we're going to get a little bit more latitude. I own the domain negativepolitics.com. And it's always been my kind of dream. Um, I, we're going to be launching a national aggregation website, kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes for politics, in which people are going to be able, it'll be a repository for all the great disgusting, angry, negative uh, campaign commercials and direct mail and text messages all in one place, kind of with a humorous bent to them. So when people say, hey, did you see that new ad, that demon sheep ad in California, you'll be able to go to negativepolitics.com. And then eventually 
um, readers and viewers will be able to will actually be able to judge and rate these ads for their effectiveness. Are they truthful? Are they snarky? Are they creative, et cetera? And so we're going to you'll get a, a grade basically on how good or in this case, how bad um, a television ad is or a radio ad, et cetera, building up to the 22 and then 24 elections, a national aggregation site with all the fun best stuff, all the juicy stuff that people, they say they don't like negative ads. People always turn their nose at them, but they're always the ones that get the attention. So is our official slogan going to be engulf and devour now? You know, with, with all due respect to Mel Brooks. It, it, it will be, uh, I, I think it's going to be funny. I think once we get it all, you know, like, you know, people, they swear that they don't like it, but you know, you, you when's the last time you remembered a positive ad, right? You, you don't you remember yeah. that. You remember the Daisy ad. You remember the Willie Horton ad. You remember the negative ones. And the problem is you never know where to go get them. And so I think this is like, this is a, a website for all the political junkies out there. Uh, this is a website, you know, I, it's kind of based, there's a great service called Local Matters, which uh, takes together all the best local watchdog reporting from the newspapers, puts it in one spot, sends out a newsletter. We're going the opposite of that. We want all the trash, all the garbage, all the gossip, all in one place um, so people can see that. Whew. Sounds rather vile, Peter. <laughs> well, you know, we got to get the clicks, you know, it's a, <laughs> <laughs> we're not we're not they're not our ads we're just we know that they're the ones that uh uh garner attention so i've been hanging on to that website i don't even know how it became available but i i gotta put that domain to use well it sounds like it's going to be a fun new iteration of florida politics i'm looking forward to it well we appreciate everything you're doing sunrise is great i start my morning i know a lot of other people up in tallahassee throughout the state do um so you're gonna have a podcast brother here in state of emergency and you know, hopefully we'll get you a couple more so that we've got a whole podcast studio going by the end of uh, the end of the year and into 2022. So stick with Florida politics for new reporters, new podcasts, a stronger presence in Miami-Dade, and that collection of vile political advertising. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview has been my boss, Peter Schorsch, who had the foresight to snap up the negative politics domain when it was available. It should be fun. Your calendar of events? Well, the Florida Caribbean Cruise Association is holding an all-day summit with cruise line executives beginning at 9 in Port Miami to talk about resumption of cruise operations during the pandemic. Trustees of the Florida Virtual School meet online at 9. State Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed will make an announcement at 10 in Tampa about a new initiative by the Office of Energy at her Department of Agriculture to improve energy equity in Florida. State Senator Jason Brodeur and Orlando Mayor Buddy Dyer join the American Hotel and Lodging Association and the Florida Restaurant and Lodging Association in a 10 a.m. news conference in Orlando to talk about the impact of reduced business travel. It's down about 85 percent compared to pre-pandemic days. And 134 events at the Orange County Convention Center have been canceled or rescheduled because of COVID-19. Trustees of Broward College meet at 1 in Pembroke Pines. At 2 and again at 6, the Public Service Commission continues a series of online customer hearings about a proposal that would lead to base rate increases for Florida Power and Light. The State First Responders Suicide Deterrence Task Force meets online at 2. Trustees of Indian River State College meet at 3.30 in Fort Pierce. Trustees at Pensacola State College have a budget workshop at 4.30, committee hearings at 5, and a board meeting at 5.30. 
And today is the deadline for you to submit an application for two seats on the Public Service Commission. They'll be open in January when the terms of Commissioners Art Graham and Andrew Fay expire. The PSC Nominating Council will interview candidates and then send lists of finalists to the governor who will make the final appointments. We've discovered Florida Man, the graphic version. 22-year-old Matthew Latham of Port Ritchie really didn't do anything outrageous. He was charged with just two misdemeanors, possession of less than 20 grams of pot, and misuse of the 911 system. But what sets Matthew apart is the tattoo in the middle of his forehead. It's a dark silhouette of the state of Florida. The northern border is inked above his eyebrows. The southern part of the peninsula comes to an end on his nose, right between the eyes. Well, that's one way to make sure you'll never have to work in retail. Finally today, a Florida man is facing charges of aggravated battery and armed robbery after pulling a gun at Starbucks when he got into a fight with the staff over cream cheese. 38-year-old Omar Wright screwed up in a number of ways, starting off with pulling a gun over a bit of cheese. The Starbucks employee he's accused of threatening is also the only daughter of the police chief in Miami Gardens. And you know this incident happened just before the chief was taking part in a community march against gun violence. During his first appearance in court, Wright says it was wrong to charge him with armed robbery because... All he wanted was some cream cheese. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.